Yeah, kids, you can go with Miss Judy. Now that I got a battery, I can say that, right? <laughs> Couldn't say it before I had a battery. I want to welcome each one here this morning. Thankful for our time in, in uh, worship and music. Uh, thankful for the Sunday school hour. Thankful for the Word of God. Um, those verses that uh, Patrick just read for us, Acts 16, 13, and we're going to look at uh, verses all the way through 26 this morning. There's a lot here. We're going to have to move quickly. We have communion Sunday this morning. And uh, speak to that toward the end of the message as well. But let me open with a word of prayer, and uh, we'll begin, okay? You can't hear me? Can you hear? Okay. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for your word. Thank you for each one that's here this morning. Father, I want to thank you in advance for what you're going to do this morning um, as your word is proclaimed and as, and as we... Um, our active listeners, Father, you do wonderful things. So, Father, I pray you just do that this morning. Keep me from saying anything that I should not say. May you be pleased with what is proclaimed and our response to it. In Jesus' name, for his glory, amen. Shining the light into darkness is the focus of my message this morning. Shining the light into darkness. That was a fitting missions moment, Soren. You know, there's no shortage of darkness in our world, is there? There's no shortage of it. I thought of, tried to think of some illustration. I was going to look one up, and then one came to mind. Um, you know, you guys have, we have, Utah has salt mines here above ground, and it's a, it's a pretty big industry, mining salt. But you might not know that underneath the city of Detroit, there are salt mines, and they're immense. They're at three levels, at 300 and some feet, at 600 and some feet, and at 900 and some feet. There's a maze of roadworks, and it's supported by nothing but salt. It's wider than this church building across. It's about as wide as this church building is long, including Dirk's plumbing. And the ceiling is, I don't know, 40 feet high. It's like this. And then every so often, there'll be a cavern going down this way and a cavern going down that way. I don't want to get into the explanation of that. In the early 80s, I got to go into those salt mines to do some tire work because those salt mines were shutting down. And the point of what I'm getting at with these salt mines is um, before you go into something like that, underground mining or any kind of place now, you have to do uh, safety training. Safety training was a lot different then. It was kind of, don't get yourself killed. Here's your hard hat. But <laughs> now it's a lot different. <laughs> Sign your name on the X and go. But they were really... Uh, they were really, um, I had a word for this, <laughs> adamant is not the word, but they were really serious about the headlamp that they had. They, they, I had a battery just like this. They wanted to make sure my battery is working and my headlamp is working. And they mentioned it a few times, and I found out why. We got going down in this elevator shaft, down 900 feet in the ground. It looked like something I welded together. There was probably seven or nine of us in there, and it was doing this all the way down. It looked like there was a cable that I fastened to it. And the guy said, let's all turn off our lights so these guys can experience, me and my uncle could experience how dark it gets. Well, we shut those lights off. When, it's, when there's the absence of light, you cannot see anything. You can't see the hand in front of your face. We had a long enough time. You can't see anything in the absence of light. Now, how does that apply today? My first day there at that, in, in that mine, I didn't know what to expect. Hey? 
I want to talk to you today about what to expect when you're shining the light into darkness. What to expect when you're shining the light into darkness. That's the focus of my message this morning. We're looking at Paul, who, is, um, uh, who has taken Silas along with him from Antioch. They get to Lystra and they pick up Timothy. They get to Troas and Luke joins the group. So there's four guys and Paul sees a vision. And so there's these men traveling on foot and they get into a boat and they're passing through cities and passing by thousands of people. Thousands of faces, they come in, you know, conversations. And then they end up staying in this prominent city, Philippi. It's a Roman colony. It's a place that would seem to be the epicenter of all that was important, Philippi would. It would seem to be that, the epicenter of everything that's important. Commerce, finance, wealth, prosperity, and politics, all that would be taking place in that city. It would seem to be the most important thing in the world. It, it, it has its authorities, it has its customs, it has its laws, it has its practices, and it's into this place that God sends these four men to proclaim the gospel, to bring light into darkness. And, and as you read these verses, maybe you followed along closely, maybe you didn't, but as you read them, if you were to read them later on or look at them as we're going through this message this morning, there's these contrasts that maybe don't, aren't evident at the first read, but as you soak it in a little bit, it is the God of all creation that has sent four men into this area to proclaim the most important truth of all humanity. And there's no fanfare. There's no parade. There's no keys to the city given to them. Just four men show up at a riverside and proclaim the gospel to one woman. To one woman. Had some pictures. This is Samuel Thrace. I said last week it's a beautiful place. Don't want to get stuck on that again. This is Neapolis. This is where they stopped over and then they went on to Philippi. This is the ruins of Philippi, which are beautiful all by themselves. It was a beautiful city in its day. And this is the theater. This is the verse we should have had up my fault last week. For it is God who is at work in you both to desire and to work for his good pleasure. And last week that was the focus of the message that God's still at work. In our day, he's working in and through his people. He works in and through human hearts, and he works in and through his church. Hey? But today, I want to talk about what to expect when, when you shine the light into darkness. Yeah. Now, the truth is, and we know it, we know it. No, I don't have to tell you this. We know it. We are not the Apostle Paul. We're not Silas. We're not Timothy. We're not Luke, the author of the book of Acts that we have in front of us. We're not these men. And we know that. But when shining the light into darkness, there are some things that they experienced, things they found that we can expect to find too. And some things that they encountered that we should expect to encounter. And some... And there is something here that they found themselves engaged in that's not unique to them. Things that are not unique to them. That's what I want to look at this morning. So let's just dive right in here. The first point of this message is, if you're a note taker, it's point number one, the same experiences. Well, same experiences. We're not in Philippi. We didn't sail past Samothrace. 
We don't have our four buddies with us in a boat. We haven't arrived at a riverside, hey? The same experiences, though. Experiences that are not unique to them. Because they were earnest to shine the gospel light. By earnest, I mean they were, they were sincere about it. They were serious about it. They would experience some things that we can experience when we are earnest to do the same thing. Okay? 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, Paul speaks of the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. The light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. In verse 13, let's look at verse 13 again. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to a riverside where we were supposing or expecting that there would be a place of prayer. Here in verse 13, they expect to find a place of prayer, and they did. But what else did they find? What else did they find? They're outside the city. They're by, down by a river. They, they found a spot outside the city. They found themselves down by a river. There's a picture of that river. You can visit there. I was going to look up the name. I forgot. It's like Crendines or something like that, the Crendines River. This is where they found themselves. They found themselves where there are some women gathered to pray, and they found a place to sit down. And we sat down and began speaking to the women who had assembled. That's, that's some of the things that they experienced. But there are things they found because they were earnest to shine the light, things we should expect to find as well when we are earnest to do the same things. Things not unique to them. And that's what we're going to look at. We are reading of the events of those days, right? And we look at them. You know that expression people use? I can't see if I do that. Back in the day, hey? People will say, back in the day. And it's almost cliche now. People say it jokingly. Well, back in the day. What is that reference? When someone says, back in the day, what is that referring to? A greater time, right? A better experience. That's what that's referring to. Days and events that seem bigger and greater and more prominent. Back in the day. I can remember back in the day. As we read this, Luke is recording some things that are back in the day. And we read them and we think, wow. And we're comfortably just sitting here reading this. We're just thinking, wow, look at that. Look at all they did. Look at all the travels they were on. Well, these are days that must have exceeded even their own expectations, I'm thinking. In Acts 17.6, we're going to get there in just a couple of weeks. It says, these men, it's speaking of, of Paul and his companions, these men who have turned the whole world upside down. Back in the day, they turned the whole world upside down with the gospel. So what are these things that they experience that I think we can expect to experience as well? The first one is, when you're earnest to share the gospel, you can experience an opportunity to do that very thing, an opportunity to share the light of the gospel. When you're earnest to share the gospel, you can experience the same thing they did, an opportunity to do that very thing, an opportunity to share the light of the gospel. Sometimes when you're not earnest to do it, you can experience that as well. But if you're earnest to do it, if you're praying about it, if you're thinking about it, an opportunity is going to come. When you're earnest to shine the light into darkness, 
you can expect to find an opportunity to shine light into darkness. And there's no shortage of opportunity. There's plenty of darkness to go around. Just think of that missions moment we just watched, right? Think of the darkness that it, that's involved with that man being shot in his home. Think of the difficulties and the darknesses that are in our world around us, in our nation, in our city, in our neighborhoods. There's no shortage of opportunity to shine the light into darkness. So we can experience that, an opportunity to share the light of the gospel. There's plenty of darkness to go around. may not even be through spoken words. Matthew 5.16, Your light must shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven, Jesus says in Matthew 5.16. It might not even be through spoken words. This opportunity to shine the light of the gospel doesn't have to necessarily be through spoken words. Open Doors was talking about that. We brought this family, we loved on them, and we here can love on them too. Not even a spoken word. There's an opportunity to shine light into darkness. For sure. (laughs) Or, of course, we need to always be ready to give an answer to anyone who asks us to give a reason for the hope that we have within us. Peter writes in in 1 Peter 3.15, eventually, at some point, we need to speak of Jesus, right? We need to do that. But there's plenty of opportunity. And there's something else that was a part of their experience that we can expect to be a part of ours as well. We can expect when we shine the light into darkness, we can expect it to be fruitful. We can expect it to be fruitful. Yesterday, Cindy and I got to go up and spend a little time with Abby and Cooper up in Tree Mountain, and it was snowing in the mountains, hey? I can't describe to you how pretty it was. I should have took a picture with my phone. It was just beautiful. It was sunshiny down here in the valley, and there was cattle out there between here and Tree Mountain on the highway, and then this, this sunshine kind of broke up into a little bit of misty kind of snow, and then it was a gray blob up on the mountains, and then there was white stuff. One of them beautiful scenes, hey? One of them beautiful scenes. And it got me to thinking about this. Isaiah 55.10. The Lord says, As the rain and the snow come down from heaven, as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish. That's what I was thinking about when I was looking at that scene. I was thinking about that snow up on the mountain and it's going to melt. And as it melts, it's going to fill up rivers and those rivers are going to fill up uh, reservoirs or ponds and it's going to provide the water for, for planting crops and for the feed that those cattle were eating. The Lord says in Isaiah 55.10, As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater. And then he compares it to what? In verse 11, he compares it to his word. He compares that very thing to his word. He says, So is my word that goes out from my mouth. When we're involved with shining light into darkness, what can we expect to find? We can expect to find opportunities to do that very thing. There's no shortage of opportunities. And we can expect that when we share that, it's going to bear fruit. It's going to bear fruit. 
So is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve, and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. It's going to bear fruit. It's going to be fruitful. Now, how fruitful or in what way it'll be fruitful, it's probably best to leave that up to the Lord, hey? We might not even see the fruit of that. We could, we could, we could share the gospel with, with a buddy for our lifetime, pass away, never see him come to faith in Christ in our lifetime, and find out when we get to eternity, he's there. We had a part of that. We can be sure that the gospel will bear fruit. We can expect it to be fruitful. 1 Corinthians 15, 58 is a lot, very familiar verse. Therefore, my dear brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Not in vain. God sends the A-team, the Apostle Paul, Silas, Timothy, and Luke. He sends the A-team into Macedonia. And what do we read in verse 14? What's the first thing you read? Someone. What's the first three words? Huh? Now a certain woman. You know what it says in the NAS? A woman named Lydia. In the NIV, one of those listening. One woman. God sends the A-team for one woman. One woman. He sends the A-team, I forget how many miles it in, it is, it's hundreds of miles from where they started to where they end up at. One woman. One of those listening was a woman named Lydia, a dealer of purple cloth from the city of Thyatira, who was a worshiper of God. Now, we can't even imagine, as we're sitting here comfortably reading this story, we can't imagine that the next words we're going to read are one of those guys saying, Wow, Paul, after all that travel and all that effort, we're not greeted at the city gate with the fanfare. No keys to the city. No parade for us. No one even notices us here. We've been staying here for days, and no one even notices us, Paul. They don't even know we exist. Wow, Paul. And now we come down to this river, and one woman responds? We can't imagine them saying that, can we? But we can get that way with regard to the things of the Lord, can't we? For one woman, the maker of heaven and earth, moves the A-team to share the gospel with one woman. I mean, we know the Bible says in Luke 15.7, there is more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 who need no repentance. We know the Word of God says that. So some things we can expect when we bring light into darkness. We can expect that there's going to be opportunity because there's no shortage of darkness in our world. We can expect that it will be fruitful when we shine the light into darkness because God says His Word will not return to Him void or empty. And we can expect that the gospel light will reach the hearts of people. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. We can expect that. It reaches the heart. We can't, we can't see the heart all the time. Hey, we can't see what God's doing in the human heart. We don't always know. Verse 14, 
goes on to goes, also tells us that she's a seller of purple cloth from the city of Thyatira. Seems like a random fact, right? Kind of random. We're learning a little bit of something about this woman here. She deals in purple clothes. She's a businesswoman whose business involved travel. She's from Thyatira, but she's there in Philippi. She's a woman of means. She's from Thyatira, but she has a household in Philippi. And a large enough home and the means enough to take care of four traveling missionaries and her household at the same time. She's a thoughtful person. You can't get where she's at without having some thoughts going on, eh? And we can also imagine in her occupation, this seller of purple, this, this, this was like the nobility color, right? If you wanted to be somebody who was somebody and looked like the somebody who was somebody, you wanted purple clothes. Now, maybe not so in our world today. Today it's the giantess house on the highest hill or it's the car of the certain name or you fill in the blank what you think it might be, but it's not purple clothes. But in that day, it's purple clothes. If you want to be someone, you got to have those purple clothes on. Imagine the people that Lydia met selling those purple clothes to. Just think for a minute about this. People that wanted to... Look, I put this tie on this morning because I want to... This is the role, right? Hopefully I'm not trying to sell myself as something I'm not, but this is the role. I'm going to come up here. I should look presentable. But imagine the people that Lydia met selling those purple clothes. People that wanted to look like something, but she knew her customers. She thought, yeah, I'm selling you this purple garment. And as they're walking out the door with their purple robe, she's thinking, boy, oh boy. I don't know what that guy's doing thinking he's wearing purple. I mean, that don't belong on him. With that kind of a business and that kind of a thought process, it's not too far of a jump to start thinking a person with that mindset is going to go not so shallow with her relationship with God. She's going to have to turn it back on herself at some point and say, well, yeah, what about me? Who do I think I am? She's going to have to get serious and do business with the Lord. That's my point, hey? She can't just, ah, it'll all work out, I guess. No, she's got to do business with the Lord. She's seen the superficial, the phony, the putting on of garments to look a certain way. She has a mind for or a heart for cutting through all the baloney. I think she does. And when you get there, you realize you need to do business with God Almighty. I got there. Have you? We do business with one another. We, we can fool each other. We can talk to each other. We can put on the purple clothes or whatever. But we can't fool God. We can't fool Him. He knows our hearts completely. Have you done business with Almighty God? Have you said, God, I know I'm a sinner. Forgive me for my sin. I'm trusting in Jesus for my salvation because I know he died in my place. He died the sin I deserved. He died for the sins I deserved to die for. He died in my place. He died for me. Have you done business with God Almighty? She has. 
So she has a tender heart, and God opens her heart to receive what was spoken. But it's not just her that comes to faith, is it? It isn't just her. It starts with just her. But these four men don't know it's going to be any more than just her. They go, it's just her. That's all they know at that moment. One woman. But she has a testimony. Now she's been saved. I wonder what role she played in leading her family to the Lord. I wonder that. I was in Africa speaking to a man that didn't know my language through an interpreter. This man had never heard the name of Jesus. Now, I don't know how God worked it out, but that guy trusted the Lord in about a 15-minute span. I'd never seen anything like it. I start walking down the same path, and I'm talking with my interpreter. It might have been more than 15 minutes. 15 minutes flies by fast. Could have been 25 minutes. I don't know. And I see this guy take off with his bike because he was coming toward us, and now he goes the same way we're going, and he's up in the neighbor's yard. I'm thinking it's the neighbor, and he's up there talking, and I'm walking along, and I'm asking my interpreter, what is he saying? What is he saying? And my interpreter says, shh, I am listening. Okay, he's listening. He's going to let me know. He is sharing his testimony with his brother, this guy that just got saved. What does he tell his brother? Because I'm looking at the brother. I'm looking at him. The next house I go to, I'm sitting there. There's a bunch of ladies gathered around. That brother shows up, listens to the gospel, trusts the Lord as his Savior. I wonder what role Lydia had in bringing her family to the Lord. She has a testimony. I was talking to a man on the phone a few years back, and I don't know, I think he had a radio program. He called me on the phone trying to trip up a new pastor in the area. I don't know what he was doing. And I realized, I don't think you're talking to me. I think you're entertaining for an audience. And I asked him that. Is that what you're doing? And he got kind of mad with me, and I thought, yeah, that's what you're doing. So I said, well, let me tell you my testimony. And he laughed at me, and he goes, oh, you got a testimony. You know what came to my mind? Who despises the day of small things? Yeah, it's a small thing. I got a testimony, but it's big with God. There's more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents. And it's big with me. It's big with me. When you shine the light into darkness, there are some things you can expect to see. You can expect the gospel light to reach the hearts of people. You can expect that to happen. So verses 13 through 15, what is accomplished by shining the light into darkness? Or what should be expected when shining light into darkness? A couple of things that are not unique to them, not just for them to experience. Those things we just mentioned, even though you might not see it. First John 5, 5 says, Who is he that overcomes the world, but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? That's Lydia's testimony. The world's full of darkness. She's overcome the world through her faith in Jesus Christ. A couple of more things we should expect, and we've got to get moving along. When shining the light into darkness, there is something that we will encounter. And when we encounter it, we'll expose it. Look what happens next. After, after they meet Lydia, I'm skipping past verse 15. We're going to verse 16. It happened that as we were going to the place of prayer, a slave girl having a spirit of divination met us. Hey? They were met by someone. They were met by a girl, but they encountered and exposed something else, didn't they? They were met by someone, but they encountered and they exposed something else. 
It happened that as we were going to the place of prayer, a slave girl having a spirit of divination met us, who was bringing her masters much profit by fortune-telling, following after Paul and us. She kept crying out, saying, These men are bondservants of the Most High God who are proclaiming to you the way of salvation. I'm saying they encountered and exposed something else. What was it? It was darkness itself. Darkness itself. When you're involved with shining the light into darkness, you'll be involved in the same thing they were. You will encounter and expose darkness itself. First John 5.19, John tells a believer two things they can know for sure. I hope this verse is here. I'm not sure. It is. Two things you can know for sure. First John is a wonderful book. He talks about all kinds of things we can know. He says, First John five nine in First John five nineteen, we know that we are of God. Well, that's a wonderful thing to know. We know we are of God. What's he say after that? And the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. We can know that. There's no shortage of darkness. We can expect when shining light into darkness to encounter darkness. It's just going to be there. We'll come in close proximity to it, and the light will expose it for what it is. Ephesians 5.11 says, Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. Expose them. Now, the darkness they encountered was demonic. We might not encounter that, but it's possible, I believe, to do so, but you shouldn't see a demon around every bush. In the darkness they encountered was a darkness of deception, and the darkness they encountered was a darkness of dilution. Dilution. You know, when you dilute something, maybe you've got barn cats and you give them fresh milk out of the bulk tank and you don't want them drinking that because it won't be good for them, so you water it down. If you keep watering it down, you'll have water, right? When you dilute something. So the demonic activity, it's just obvious. She had a spirit by which she predicted the future, a spirit of divination. She was fortune-telling. Fortune-telling fortune fortune is darkness. The darkness of deception it says in, in verse 17, This girl followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. Well, she's speaking truth. She's saying a true statement. That is true. They are servants of the Most High God who are telling people the way to be saved. But there's a deception there. She speaks the truth, but she's speaking it mockingly, maliciously. Can, you can almost hear what that might sound like. A mocking voice. These men are servants of the Most High God. You, you can almost hear that. And it's malicious. What way is it malicious? She's this fortune teller. What would happen if people listened to her and then responded to the gospel based on what she said? They'd think that, that what, they, what Paul and, and his companions were proclaiming was just another form of fortune telling. 
It was just another form of that. It would, it would water down the gospel, the darkness of delusion. Someone writes this, well, the truth needs no falsehood to help it. The truth needs no falsehood to help it. The gospel could have been confused for just another form of divination. There is an importance of the purity of the gospel. And there's the dilution of a per- there's a dilution of the message and there's the dilution of a person here. This slave girl had value in the eyes of God, but she wasn't valued at all by her masters. Not valued at all. Notice when Paul speaks, when he finally has had enough. In verse 18, she continued doing this for many days, but Paul was greatly annoyed. For many days, Paul is greatly annoyed, and you've got to wonder, Paul, why didn't you do something earlier? Maybe he didn't know what to do. Maybe he's thinking, well, she's telling the truth, and then finally realizes, no, this isn't right. We can't put up with this no more. So he turns and says to the Spirit, not to the girl, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ, come out of her. And it came out at that very moment. Now we're not going along around doing, what do you call that? What's that word? We're not going around doing exorcisms, right? So we might not be involved with that, but we should expect to encounter and expose darkness. Ephesians 5.11, have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. In the name of their Lord and Master, Jesus Christ, they set this captive soul free, but her masters were not happy for her and not happy with Paul and his friends for doing what they did. There are people who use other people's weaknesses or addictions for the purpose of their own gain. And it is evil and it is darkness. But there is freedom in Jesus from that. There is freedom. This is where we're going to be at the end. John 3, 19 and 20, Jesus says, This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear his deeds will be exposed. I don't have that verse up there, but I wanted to read it for you. For fear their deeds will be exposed. People play patty cake with their sin. But you hear Jesus say this, and he takes it seriously. They will not come into the light for fear their deeds will be exposed. When you bring the light into darkness, you're going to encounter some darkness, and you're going to expose it for what it is. We shouldn't be surprised when that happens. We shouldn't be surprised. We shouldn't be surprised in the world around us, the country we live in, that this is the case. We shouldn't be surprised by it. We shouldn't be toppled over by it.
No, Ephesians 5, 11 through 13. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, rather expose them, for it is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed to the light becomes visible. We have the blessing of reading about these believers in or under various situations and circumstances. And we're just doing it comfortably and seeing that in each situation they are bringing light into darkness. And through it they find opportunity and they see hearts open and they encounter darkness but expose it for what it is. And one more thing, none of that is unique to them. It's not unique to them. We experience the same things. And the last thing, the last thing, the same engagements or something we were engaged in that they're engaged in. Verses 19 through 26. And you see what happens to them, hey? But when our masters saw that their hope of profit was gone, what did they do? They seized Paul and Silas. They dragged them into the marketplace before the authorities. This is the public dragging before. And when they had brought them to the chief magistrates, they said, these men are throwing our city into confusion, being Jews. And they are proclaiming customs, which is which it is not lawful for us to accept or to observe being Romans. So they got customs and they got laws, and they can't accept the ones that Paul and Silas are proclaiming. The crowd rose up together against them, and the chief magistrates tore, off their robe, tore their robes off them and proceeded to order them to be beaten with rods. When they had struck them with many blows, they threw them into the prison, commanding the jailer to guard them securely. And he, having received such a command, threw them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. He took it seriously. You make sure you guard these guys. He takes it seriously. And he puts them in the inner, in the inner, <laughs> he puts them in maximum security. And here it is. The thing that we can be engaged in that they are engaged in. And this is where we're going to close pretty quickly here. But about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise to God. And the prisoners were listening to them, bringing light into darkness, eh? Bringing light into darkness. And suddenly there came a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison house were shaken. And this is the point I want to get at right there. When you bring light into darkness, when you shine light into darkness, it shakes the foundations of this world. This world that is under the control of Satan. What I mean by this world. It shakes the foundations of this world when you bring light into darkness. And you can have an opportunity to do that in your own family today. You can have an opportunity to do that tomorrow morning at work. You can have an opportunity to do that tonight at the store. You can have an opportunity to bring light into darkness, and it's a light into darkness that shakes the foundations of the world. It shakes the foundations. They were, they were praising God and singing hymns of praise. And suddenly there came a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison house were shaken, and immediately all the doors were open and everyone's chains were unfastened. I'll finish with this verse, Romans 12, 21. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. We've got a lot of darkness around us. And we're not Paul, and we're not Silas, and we're not Timothy, and we're not Luke. But we can experience the same things they did when we shine light into darkness. And those things are this. We can have the same kind of opportunities 
because there's plenty of darkness to go around. And we can, we can experience people with open hearts coming to faith in Jesus. I forgot the second one. And we can expect that we will encounter and expose evil. We'll expose darkness for what it is. And we can expect that when we rejoice in the Lord, regardless of the situation, when we shine light into darkness, it shakes the foundations of darkness. I had another verse, but we're going to close because we got communion. Let me, let me close with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for your word. Help us to know, Father, even though we might be thinking that back in the day, things were so much different. There's so much we have in common with these men. And help us to act on those things that we have in common with them and help us to be encouraged to know that you go with us that you care for even just one soul so we can do the same. We don't have to reach everyone. Just that one you place in our, in our path. Father, help us to overcome the darkness with good. Let's not be overcome by it. In our day, in Jesus' name, for his glory, amen.